Well, good day. <coughs> Excuse me. Welcome to church this morning, and uh, thanks, Hev, for your leading, and uh, thanks for prayer. But uh, before we go any further, we will spend just a little bit of time in prayer. There's a lot to be praying about at the moment. There's a lot to be thanking God for, and uh, it's a great time on a Sunday morning and any time to come before the Lord in prayer to get in your own personal prayer closet, but now is our time to be able to come before God and um, bring our prayers and petitions to him. So before we go any further, we'll just pray. Loving God and Father, thank you for another day. Thank you for another week. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit as he comes and he, and he prompts and he shows and he, he leads us. Thank you for leaving that gift of your Holy Spirit to us, Jesus. And Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you for what he did for each one of us in giving his life for us. Father, at this time we come before you with prayers and petitions and our prayers for ourselves and for our nation, for others too, Father. Thank you that the virus has been slowed down in this country, but there's Father and in the world there's other places where it's not. We just pray your hand upon that. We just pray for a, um, a stopping of this virus and that things may be able to get back to normal. For those people that may have lost their jobs, Father, that you may be able to work in their lives too. For those in our congregation that may not have been well over this last time, for those who may have lost loved ones, we just really pray for them and commit each one of them afresh and just pray that your spirit may be with them, that you may wrap your loving arms around each one of them, Father, and show your love to them. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to share on technology. Thank you for these very clever people who put technology together. Thank you for what we have here, that we're able to show Christ to the world through this time. And we just ask your spirit may anoint this day and just show us and lead us where you'd have us to go. In Jesus' precious and loving name we pray and thank you. Amen. Well, today is the 31st of May and um, it's a, a day before winter starts tomorrow. Although in the Northern Hemisphere, um, where I was born, we didn't celebrate on the first of the month. We wait until the solstice or the um, equinox. So uh, the winter solstice here in Australia is on the 21st of June and uh, we look forward to that um, being the shortest day and then after that the days get longer and that means that things are going to warm up to great. <coughs> so before we go any further this morning, <coughs> excuse me, We'll probably go to a few places this morning <clears throat> in the message, but um, one thing of uh, God's impressed on me that you remember everything that comes this morning that God has a plan and a purpose for everything. We're going to go a few places and the different things and look at different things um, in the way that, that God has worked through uh, through this time and what our message is today. But just remember that God has a plan and purpose for everything. <clears throat> so as I said, we're starting to see the light at the end of the channel uh, with some of the restrictions easing. As of next week, we can have uh, 20 people that are able to get in and to, uh, to uh, meet together. So for some of the churches, that means that they can get together in, the, in most of their congregation and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> but we as a church hope to be meeting together in the not-too-distant future, hopefully, and in the next few months, hopefully, we'll be able to be up and running again as church. <clears throat> so 
Um, as of tomorrow, as once again I said, these restrictions are going to be um, eased a little bit more. But as I said before, um, today's May the 31st. It's the last day of autumn and winter and about the solstice. So for me, May the 31st holds a couple of significant life events. As I just mentioned, I come from England, and um, on the 31st of May 1963, uh, that was a year that was before we had technology, but we did have boats. Uh, we didn't have to get there and row them here, but we did come here on a ship. We left Southampton on the 3rd of May and on 28 days. We arrived here in Australia at uh, Station Pier in Melbourne, and we got a taxi from Station Pier, and it took us up to Preston Migrant Hostel. Now, Migrant Hostels were where um, all of us, as we came as migrants, and they were Nissen Huts, and Nissen Hut is a semicircular building, and it's made of corrugated iron, split down the middle, and one family lived on that side, and you could just about hear when people uh, moved, the walls were about that thick, um, and in summertime they were stinking hot, wintertime they were freezing cold, there was no flywire, and that was our life for the first nine months until we bought a house and moved out. Um, so that was a pretty significant life event there. It was fun for us because we met different kids and different people, but there was also some strains and stresses, and it was um, a, a bit of a daunting time as well too. <clears throat> and then the second <clears throat> most um, life experience on this date was one that's really changed mine and Judy's life uh, completely over the last uh, seven years. And uh, on 2013, which coincidentally was 50 years after we arrived in the country, I had my first chronic fatigue crash, and it was a pretty scary time. It was about 11.30 on a Friday night. We'd had a, we were working the campsite at the time. We had a group come in. I'd uh, been and said hello to them and said goodnight to them. Came home, was wandering off to bed, and uh, next thing I collapsed on the floor, not able to move at all, <clears throat> not even able to get into the bedroom or to be able to move in, in any way. So um, I struggled into the bedroom and got to the bedroom, wasn't able to undress or to, um, to, to function at all. And uh, over the next few months, they did lots of tests and different things and eventually found and decided I had chronic fatigue syndrome. And uh, over the last seven years, um, it's been up and down, and uh, just over the last week or so, I've had a, a bit of a relapse, so these relapses come and go. And uh, one of the things was that where we're working this Christian campsite that um, we were able to, were, well, because of the chronic fatigue, we had to move on and move here to Kerrang. And, um, but with these relapses, I know that God has um, been with me through it, and has always continues to be through it, and uh, he has brought us to Kerrang for a reason. So God has a plan and a purpose for everything, even though in some of the smaller things, well, and some of the bigger things as well, um, if I hadn't been, as I wrote on my Facebook page seven years ago, why they let me in the country, I don't know, but if not, I wouldn't have met uh, my wife and children's mother. So um, God has a plan and that for everything. So... As Baptists, we don't really follow the liturgical calendar closely, but if you look at some of the other churches that they do, and this morning at uh, some of the other churches, if it was a normal Sunday, they'd be really celebrating today, and today is the day of Pentecost. We do celebrate uh, Christmas and Easter, but very little else in the, in the liturgical calendar. So uh, Pentecost is 50 days after Easter, or the Passover it was known in those days, and some refer to this as a church's birthday. 
It's the day when the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus promised back in um, uh, further back that he would come, would be the comforter, would come because he could no longer be here and the Holy Spirit lives within each one of us and he is the one that guides and leads. So he is here today with us. We know that. So we'll open our Bible this morning to Acts chapter 2 if you've got a Bible or an app on your phone as with technology and we'll read the first 21 verses of Acts chapter 2 and then we'll get into the, uh, into the message. So Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 21 and it says the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. No doubt we've read this passage many times ourselves but uh, we'll read it again this morning. When the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of the violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound of this, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of, them hears, each of us hears them in our own native languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter got up and addressed the crowd. And Peter stood up until 11 and said, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and signs and wonders of the earth below, or show wonders in heavens above, and signs and wonders in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone, this is a great verse at the bottom, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a great thing to know, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? So this morning we're going to have a bit of a, a, a look around here. So we're not going to go through this verse by verse. We're going to go somewhere else this morning. And we're going to bring it back to what we said at the start, that God has a purpose and plan for everything. So when I did a, 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 um, a, a um, study through Moore Bible College, we were taught how to interpret the Bible and uh, one of the things that we're taught was when you look at a passage of scripture, you ask a few questions. The who, what, where, when, and why. So we'll apply this to today's passage. A couple of them, uh, which are, um, so where was this taking place, this event? So it was in Jerusalem. So who were there? 
So there were disciples who were in the house and there were many people from different countries. Um, so when was this happening? So it was 50 days after the Passover and this Passover was a special Passover. It was when Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. And why were they there? And this is what we'll focus on until we come back later in the passage. They were there for the Feast of Weeks or in the Hebrew Shavuot, which is S-H-A-V-U-O-T. So the Feast of Weeks, and this is one of the feasts that God ordained back in Leviticus. So before we go any further, I'll read the passage in Leviticus about what the Feast of Weeks is, and we'll just start to explore some of the things from this. So once again, if you have a Bible, if you go to Leviticus chapter 23, and verses 15 to 21, and this is the Feast of Weeks. From that day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of wheat offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day before the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of a tenth of ephah of fine flour baked with yeast as a wheat offering as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present this bread with seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, uh, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred, a sacred offering to the Lord to the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred uh, assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. So that was the Feast of Weeks and what it says in, in Leviticus. So, as we said, they, were, they came here on the, um, uh, the people that were there for this celebration, the Feast of Weeks, and in the New Testament they had to come back to Jerusalem and that is where they celebrated where the feast was. Now, the Feast of Weeks actually coincided with the wheat harvest. It was about, um, about the time at the end of the wheat harvest. They'd had the start of the wheat harvest and then about the end was about then. So in... Uh, Israel apparently their harvest are very set uh, I know that we have our harvest here which is different times but um, unfortunately sometimes they fail and at the moment we've got crops in ready hopefully to harvest in um, later in the year but uh, there was so this time was not only a time of their harvest it was also a time of giving thanks to God and it fell after the barley harvest which happened at about the time of Passover which was connected to the first fruits of the harvest because the barley was the first crop to ripen. So later on we'll look at something about the first fruits in the gospel, of the gospel. So there's, is there a connection, or so, there, so is there a connection to the Feast of Weeks and the coming of the Holy Spirit? And that's the question we want to explore this morning. Now God does not do things randomly. So what has the feast in the Old Testament got to do with the coming of the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> So we'll look at the history of Feast of Weeks and some of the things that were celebrated in the Old Testament and then we'll see what happened at Pentecost. The first thing to look at is what happened during the feast. 
it was a time of the Sabbath. They were not to do any work. And um, as it said in verse uh, 21, they were to sacrifice seven lambs without blemish, a young bull and two rams in offering as a fire pleasing to the Lord, as well as a wave offering of two loaves and two of the lambs. And these loaves were made with um, fine flour and baked with leaven or yeast with the first fruits to the Lord. So as mentioned before, these loaves were presented as thanks to God, recognising that everything comes from God. In the using of the leaven, the loaves, gives us a clue to some of the links to be with Pentecost, which we'll look at later. Numerically, it was a feast that was counted seven weeks after the Passover, and on the 50th day they were to start the feast, as well as signalling the end of the harvest season, so they were present burnt offerings by using two of the lambs as peace offerings and a male goat as a sin offering. Along with loaves as a wave offering before the Lord, they shall be holy to the Lord for the priests to have. So this was done annually. It was one of the feasts that God said that you must do. There was a feast of, of tabernacles and the Passover and so there's about seven feasts that they did. Now this one had to be doing annually through the generations as remembrance and giving thanks to God for the things that we he gave them. And we can give thanks to God daily for the things he gives us. One of the things about the Lord's Prayer is we thank you for our bread, our daily bread. We thank you for everything that God has given us. And that's what they were doing originally through this Feast of Weeks. Not only this time of giving thanks to God for provision all their needs, the feast also um, coincided with the giving of the words of the Ten Commandments at Sinai, or the Ten Words as they called it. The people were rescued from Egypt at the Passover, as we know what happened there, the Passover, and God rescued from them from them, and they were redeemed, rather redeemed people that were taken from that place to be in a new place, as we see what God redeemed us through the life and through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that these people were, they were redeemed from where they were to be taken to the place that God would have them to be. They were redeemed to become God's people in God's place in God's time, under God's control. First they had to leave Egypt physically and then they had to leave Egypt behind. And we see that many times during the wilderness experience they wished they were back there. And we won't go through all of them, but there's many times they complained that why can we be back in Egypt where we had all this food and we had all the stuff. They left Egypt physically, but they hadn't left Egypt out of themselves. So it was an important thing that God had to take them from there to there. So God in his grace tarried with them and brought them through the Red Sea to a place where he would give them his law. So when they reached the land that God um, had for them, they were prepared to live in the land. <clears throat> so in the third month after they left, they got to Sinai, where God gave Moses the law of the covenant with his people. So it may not have been exactly 50 days after they left for the Passover, but it had a huge bearing on the Israelites when God gave them the law there at Sinai. In Exodus 19 we see that uh, when God came down from Sinai, on Sinai, he came down with clouds and thunder and he talked with Moses and there was fire there too. And he spoke to the people through fire. And we see in the wilderness that God is a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And that's how he led them. And if the cloud stayed there, they stayed there. And if the cloud moved, they moved. And it was God in his presence there. So this is one of the signs in the Old Testament of, of um, fire and cloud and, uh, and water and that sort of thing too. 
Later in Exodus 24, when God confirmed the covenant with the people, the people responded to the covenant was said, we will do everything that the Lord has said, and then the God gave them peace on all sides during that time. So when the people met together for the Feast of Weeks of Pentecost, this is regarded as a covenant remembrance. So they were remembering the time when God gave his covenant to the people, when he gave the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments to them there at Sinai. And then Moses and um, 70 of the elders went up to the mountain a little bit later, uh, as it says a bit further on in, in, in Exodus. But God did not raise his hand against them and said that they were able to see him and they, uh, they ate and drank with him there. So the research I've done into this that some of the ancient scholars and rabbis refer to this as God speaking to the 70 nations. So this may have been a, a type which is uh, looking at things that they uh, and an antitype is something when that's fulfilled within the New Testament. So we'll see a little bit about that later. And as part of the law that God gave them at Sinai, that after 49 years the people were able to have a year of jubilee. This was the year of the 50th year after they, um, after then. They counted off seven years each of seven sevens is 49, they had 50. And remember that also that every sixth year and every seventh year they had a year where, um, which was considered a holy year or a Sabbath year where they were um, not to do any work and anything that they grew and anything they put uh, that they were able to eat that. This year of Jubilee was there with an important time for them too. And in the year of Jubilee, each person had to return to his own family, to his own clan, and they were considered as a holy year and was to direct it um, what was directly grown in the fields, like they did in the Sabbath years. And God would provide for them. So they were celebrating once again at this Feast of Weeks that God would provide for them, and once again at the Sabbath that God would provide for them, and then on the year of Jubilee that God would provide for them, and that they were to put everything in there in God's hands, and he would look after them. So during this time of the year of Jubilee, if one of the countrymen became poor and sells himself to them, they would have treated him like a hired worker. And in the year of Jubilee, they would have set him and his family free. So the Feast of Weeks and the Year of Jubilee were times that the people were able to look forward to. So the number 50 is closely associated with the remission of debts, emancipation of slaves, and the rest with God's protective care. So now we'll come back to the day of Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So we look back to John chapter 14, and Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. Jesus' time was nearing an end on earth, and in verse 18, he told the disciples he would not leave them as orphans, that he would leave the Holy Spirit to be with them. So we see in Luke 24, 49, after Jesus had risen, he said to the disciples, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And in Luke, in, uh, when, he start of, um, when he wrote the book of Acts, in verse 4 to 5 in, in chapter 1, he says something similar. On one occasion, until he was, uh, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift uh, that my Father has promised, which you will heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So the disciples were looking forward to this time, similar to the time in the Feast of Weeks, and they were looking forward. 
after the Passover in the New in the Old the Old Testament. So we'll go back to the question posed earlier: Why did God send the Holy Spirit on this day? Start of Acts two, we see the Jewish people from all around the world were together in Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. Those Jews were part of the Dysphoria, and um, this goes way back to 586 BC when in um, the Babylonian exile, when God sent them there as after they'd been uh, worshipping idols and doing things, God sent them there and they were to stay there until his time had come back. They stayed there for 70 years and then he brought them back again. So some of them were dispersed and some of them stayed there. So over the years from 586 BC through the hundreds of years up until where we see they're at um, Pentecost in about 32, 33 um, AD, um, they'd really moved around and there was Jews everywhere. So it was said that there were more Jews living outside of uh, Jerusalem in those days than there were in. Um, so they were trying to come as a gathering of God's people and this was starting to be in, in, in God's place and they were there in Jerusalem at this time for this feast. Even though they were not in Jerusalem, they practiced their religion wherever they lived. So whenever a poor missionary journey took um, uh, later on was looked at, one of the first places he used to go to was the synagogue, wasn't it? And he'd go and speak in the synagogue, and then he would also then go and speak uh, to those around them. And Paul himself was uh, from Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. So he was a Jew of Jews and he was a Pharisee, but they, were from, uh, they really settled themselves around and they would have their religion wherever it was that they were um, they were living. So one of the first things to note about notice about verses two to four in Acts two is that the disciples were in one place and the Holy Spirit came with a violent wind. Then there seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. As we saw earlier, that fire and wind were signs of God's presence in the wilderness. With the speaking of tongues in this time was for a specific purpose that God had. And that specific purpose was to be able to speak to those that were there in their own language and they, they were able to hear it. If we look back at Mount Sinai, we see where God spoke through fire and cloud to the people. So this manifestation was God doing this through the disciples. As well as when the story of the 70 elders went up to the mountain, this was a similar thing called speaking the 70 nations of Pentecost. So it was almost a fulfilment of what happened on there when the 70 elders went up, that they were able to speak to the 70 nations and 70 people there at Pentecost. So that was one thing that how God and why he sent the Holy Spirit at that time. As part of the celebration of the Feast of Weeks, they celebrated the giving of the Ten Commandments. So this may have been the fulfilment of that happening when the disciples were able to communicate to them in their own language. God was preparing to bring his people back to his place in a new way. The Feast of Weeks was a time of giving back of the first fruits of the harvest. As we saw at the Passover, or Easter as we now know it, it was a time of beginning of the harvest with the first fruits of the barley harvest. If we look at Jesus' death, burial and resurrection, Jesus was the first fruits of the being raised from the dead. And after that, anyone who believed him would follow. We looked at that when we looked at Corinthians early on, that Jesus was the first fruits of those being raised from the dead 
and then everyone after that who comes before um, come to know him will be raised on the day when he returns again. On the day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit came, it opened up the opportunity for the people from every walk of life to come from salvation in Christ. It wasn't for the Jews. It was a time when the Holy Spirit came so everybody could come into a relationship with Jesus. There were some that uh, came and converted to Judaism, but then it was open for everyone. Just as the law was given at the first covenant and struck at Sinai, Jesus came on um, to earth to fulfil that law and to usher in the new covenant by his death, resurrection and burial, or burial and resurrection. So Pentecost was the opposite of the giving of the first fruits of their labours back to God. It was God fulfilling his promise to them by sending the Spirit that they would be the first fruits of the new covenant. So God turned the tables on them so they could be the first fruits of the new covenant. That wasn't something that they were bringing back to him or something God was giving back to them. So there's one more thing about this that uh, connects the feats of weeks to Pentecost. This is a wave offering the two loaves made with leaven. Now, we often associate leaven with sin, don't we? That Jesus says, warned about the disciples, uh, warned them about the Pharisees and the Herodians. Um, beware of them, the, the leaven of those or the yeast of those, because that was the, they were the bad things within them that would bring them down, their, their laws and all that sort of thing. And the thing is, there's two sorts of leaven or yeast. There's wild yeast and there's cultivated yeast. Now, wild yeast will contaminate the bread and the cultivated yeast will permeate through the bread to make it rise. So if you've ever made bread, you know that when you put the put it in there and then you um, wrap it in something and then you sit it on top of the oven and make it rise and it, it just permeates right through it and then what's that then becomes that and if you leave it too long it becomes that and then <laughs> that sort of thing. Well, Judy did that once when we had a bread maker um, when we were living over at Chess Hunt and... Uh, she put the, the bread in there, ready to make it, and then, well, we had a quick trip to Wangaratta for some reason and comes back and here's this <laughs> pumping out of the, the, the bread maker. So then she bunged it in the oven. It was a perfect loaf of bread. So whenever we did it again, we did it that way. But yeast actually goes through there. This is a good yeast. And uh, this is the sort of thing that we, we really want. The, and then the, um, the yeast would contain, uh, by, by having the leaven or yeast in the bread as a wave offering, so this symbolising the Holy Spirit when he comes and dwells within the believer and he permeates their lives. So this two loaves that they had a wave offering back then was something that God planned and he's saying that this is the Holy Spirit that is within and it's going to permeate the believer and it's the Holy Spirit coming. The leaven is the good leaven and the loaves are used as a wave offering. So if we go back to the Passover when the Israelites left Egypt, they were to make bread without leaven. This symbolised the wild leaven, uh, which is the leaven of Egypt. This leaven corrupted the bread and therefore would corrupt the people. And as we said before, the people hadn't left Egypt within themselves. They still yearned to be back there. They redeemed them from Egypt. They still left Egypt behind. So they had to make a new life that God had for them. So this was like the leaven of Egypt which was living within them. So that's why God made them make the loaves out of unleavened bread. So just to see a couple of examples that Jesus gave about the good leaven, and that was in Matthew 13:33. One of the parables he did was, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed it in a large amount of flour 
until it works through the dough. And that's from, um, written again too in Luke 13, 20 to 21. So when Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life, he's referring to himself as leavened bread. He's not referring to himself as unleavened bread. So what does this mean to the people then and to now as we're sitting or standing here or in our jammies watching this on TV or, or what are we doing, how are we going about us? We look further down the passage of Peter's message and he quotes the prophecy made by Joel in the last days and these things will happen. We can see here that it's the beginning of the last days since Jesus has gone back to heaven and the Holy Spirit has come. So whenever we look in the context about something about the last days and any prophecies, we look at it in this light that when the last days had arrived, when Jesus had come um, and died and resurrected and the Holy Spirit had been brought. So those were the beginning of the last days. And if you look a bit further along in Second Peter, they were looking forward to Jesus returning at some stage at, at then. So um, it's not something new that we're looking forward to Jesus returning and probably by um, virtue that it's been all those years since Jesus went back that the time is going to get closer and closer and closer when Jesus will return. And we have to be prepared. And that's one of the things, the message that Jesus brought, that we have to be prepared to meet him and we have to be prepared for when he comes back and so we can be his people in his place, in his time, under his control. So later in the chapter, 3,000 men at Pentecost were converted and baptised. No doubt there was more than that because of probably the women and children that were there too. And these were the first fruits of the new covenant. And on that, and any that came after, which includes us here today, are a product of that new covenant. Our responsibility is to preach the word in season and out of season and rely on the Holy Spirit to convict and save. We are baptised in the Holy Spirit at conversion, not at a separate time. When we come to know Christ, we are baptised in the Holy Spirit at conversion and not as a separate thing. But it's not until we allow the Holy Spirit to permeate all our lives that we are not complete in him. God's plan from the beginning of the world was to have his place, his people, in his place, in his time, under his control. We saw that the Garden of Eden, we see that when Jesus comes again, when we go to be with him. In the meantime, it's up to us to allow the Holy Spirit to take control of our lives in this fallen world and be his people in his place he has put us and in this time under his control. As we said earlier, God does not do things randomly. As we've seen that God uses uh, such things as these feasts to bring about his purpose by showing things within that, the bringing of the Holy Spirit and other things we can look back in the Old Testament as, as types and you see antitypes in the New Testament of Jesus coming. And it's just fantastic the way that the, the narratives that God has put in place from uh, Eden through to the end, how it all works together in his time and his flaming. So it's not an, a random act that God has placed us in this time in, his, in, in history. So let's make it count what we do today and where we go and how we go about it. Each one of us is here for a time and a plan. And just to repeat, God has a plan and a purpose for everything. Let's just pray.
Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the way that you've put it together. Thank you for the things that you can reveal to us through it, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Father, just bless us, we pray as we go now. We thank you for this time we've been able to spend around your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Thank you.